Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the LIBF podcast. In this episode, Heather Tilston, Head of PR and Marketing at LIBF, talks to Caroline Murray, Senior Lecturer at LIBF, and Kate Bond, Accelerator and Incubator Lead at Lloyds Banking Group, about gender diversity and their experiences of working in the finance sector. Enjoy. Gender equality, where have we got to? What's the state of play in the finance sector and why is it so important to keep on striving to break down barriers? Caroline Murray, a senior lecturer at the London Institute of Banking and Finance, recently published the first working paper for LIBF Centre for Sustainable Finance looking at this very issue and some of the barriers to improving gender equality and what action we can take. Today we're going to talk about this very issue, but from a more personal perspective, as well as looking at some of the, the, the stats. So I'm joined by Caroline Murray and also by Kate Bond, Accelerator and Incubator Lead for Lloyds Banking Group. Good morning both, how are you doing? Good morning Heather, good to be here. Hello Caroline. <laughs> good morning Heather and Kate. So Kate, if I could first ask you to just to introduce yourself and tell us what an Accelerator and Incubator Lead does. <laughs> it is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Um, so fundamentally, I look at the outside and bring that in where we have capabilities in the UK or even internationally working with formal accelerators and incubators Lloyd's doesn't have its own, um, Lloyd's Insurance does, but Lloyd's Banking Group does not. Um, I engage with those, those entities and on a, a number of different facets that says, are these capabilities from a Helping Britain Prosper perspective something that we can mentor, that we can support them in terms of making sure that the capability that they're offering is fit for purpose and solving a problem that exists? And equally, is it a capability that we would like to engage with as a company ourselves, either from a problem-solving perspective or from an investment perspective? Sounds fascinating. We're going to find out a little bit more about how you ended up in that job, Kate, a bit later in the podcast. But first, if I could just ask Caroline, if you could introduce yourself to the listeners as well. Yes, thank you, Heather. As you've already mentioned, I'm a senior lecturer with the London Institute of Banking and Finance. I teach a number of modules with my specialisms mainly being corporate lending and strategy and financial markets and risk and also ethics. And then prior to joining academia, I worked within Barclays Bank within credit risk, mainly looking at corporate lending. I did some retail lending as well. And I spent quite a lot of time dealing with the recovery of debt and also trying to help companies who are in financial difficulty in the turnaround of their businesses. I've always had strong ethical beliefs and I wanted to explore this further and start to engage in the literature and understand some of the debate around the ethical issues that arise in the workplace. So a couple of years ago, I undertook a master's degree in applied and professional ethics with Leeds University. And that's really sparked my interest in gender equality. Brilliant. Well, let's talk about the problem. So you've published a working paper and um, it's one of one of three I think you're going to publish for for us. But what is the problem with gender equality at the moment? Thank you, Heather. Well, gender equality, of course, is the fifth UN Sustainable Development Goal. And it's right that it is, because gender equality is still something that we haven't achieved. And it isn't just a UK problem. It's a worldwide problem. Women clearly account for just over half of the population, but we don't see women accounting for half of the workplace. And in fact, the statistics prove that in, in 2019, women only represented 39% of world employment. And we find that the further up the career that women go, the worse this disparity comes. 
So for instance, if you look at the OECD countries in 2019, only 31.9, so less than 32% of management positions are held by women. And when you go up to board level, it falls further to just under 23%. And it's an issue for women because everybody should have the right to shape their own lives and to be able to choose how hard they want to work and what career goals they want to achieve. And that if they've got the ability and the aptitude to succeed, they should be able to. But we're still finding that women are at risk of being marginalised in the workplace. And this, of course, then affects their ability to thrive and to make their own choices as to how they want to live their life. And we know that women are underrepresented in the workplace because they're less qualified than men. Research proves actually that women are typically more qualified than men, both at undergraduate, masters and doctorate level. And research has also shown that women aren't less capable of men. So you start to wonder whether actually it's something that women are choosing. Are they choosing not to seek those senior positions or those management positions in the workplace? But that doesn't seem to be the case either completely. And we know that women do make different life work choices sometimes, and they're typically less power orientated. But it's more than that. Women are being marginalised in the workplace, and we need to understand why that's happening and to try and dismantle those barriers that are still in place in the workplace that prevent gender equality. And there are a range of different problems that exist at the moment. There are issues like the double burden where women are expected to shoulder a disproportionate share of family and household duties. There's a lack of role models in the workplace. You know, I've mentioned the statistics of women at management and senior levels. So if there are less women in those senior positions, there are less role models for women coming into financial services to, um, to see, to work with and aspire to be like. So we need more role models. Recruitment practices also need to try and target and reach women to make sure they're aware of the opportunities that exist. Sometimes corporate culture can also be isolating and can um, alienate women in the workplace. And of course, one of the key issues that is still prevalent that we really need to start breaking down is gender stereotyping and implicit bias. So a number of different things, I think, that exist still in the workplace that we need to be working towards addressing to make sure that we are getting that gender equality that women deserve and actually is organisationally good for businesses. Well, you're painting quite a gloomy picture there, Caroline, but is there any hope? You know, should, should this, all these barriers put people off pursuing a career in the sector? But Kate, if I can ask you to talk about your experience, you joined the sector from having had a previous career in the art world. Why did you get into finance and how did you get into finance? Um, thanks, Heather. And, and I love what Caroline was saying. It, it so resonates with, with so many things that I've experienced. Um, so I did, you're correct. I studied art, not history with chemistry at Camberwell School of Art and that allows you to go down a conservation or a um, academic route in the art world and, and from there I then worked at the V&A Museum for a year and then I became a private art curator for um, a member of the Guinness family who had a very large um, collection of 17th and 18th century Mexicans. Um, in terms of staying in the art world, I, mean, I loved it, my dream job, uh, happily do 15 hour days, I got to travel, got to 
um, do traveling exhibitions, got to speak with other academics. It was incredibly stimulating and allowed me to be endlessly curious. However, there's a reason why people in the art industry mostly have trust funds. It doesn't pay well and invariably you're told that there are five people with multiple PhDs behind you that would you know, happily have your role when you, when you come out of working for a private individual. So at that point I was looking for transferable skills in other verticals. I was surrounded by friends who were management consultants and also working in the banking industry. My sister had done a banking degree at Brunel and gone straight into banking at 22. And so it seemed to be that if I was looking to do something that wasn't necessarily my passion in the first instance, but would accommodate me a life that had me not worrying about whether I could pay the electricity bill, then potentially that was a direction of travel. I had looked at being an art curator for a bank, because they often have collections either from a sort of a corporate wall hanging perspective, you know, big art collections in their lobbies and things. But again, that was very difficult to break into. So I started doing just contracting roles because also you, you have that issue when you move verticals, when you move careers, that you're either overqualified for the junior entry position roles or you're underqualified for the things that you would otherwise have applied for at that point in your career, which is somewhat frustrating. Um, and one of the roles that I ended up with was um, working for a PPP company, which is a public-private, um, can't remember what the other P is, but um, uh, basically it was private institutions like building prisons for the government and then sort of renting it back. So um, from there, the, my next contracting opportunity happened to be a compassionate leave cover at Citigroup. Um, very unfortunately, an, an individual's fiance who was a zookeeper had been crushed by his elephant and she was off and therefore they needed someone to cover that. And, and as ever, one person's awful scenario isn't you know, another person's benefit. And I managed to get in through the back door, as it were, take on that role, remain curious about things, ask questions. I mean, I knew nothing about banking. Um, and there were opportunities that came up. And I think what I've always tried to do is, is do that thing that says, yes, I want to do that. Say yes, every opportunity that sounds exciting or terrifying or something that might be a bit stretching, say, say yes. You can put a yes if, you know, yes, if I go second when we're speaking in a podcast or yes, if, if I get to, you know, sit at the end of the row or, or yes, if whatever it is that makes you comfortable, that enables you and, and sort of encourages you to say yes. And, and it was at the point, it was in the year 2000, the internet was a thing that was only just happening. And I got the opportunity to lead the build out of the Citigroup um, web portal basically for Europe, for EMEA. And it's one of those things that it became bigger than it was in the first ask. When it started, it, it's a bit like Amazon. They were a, they were a book company right they were just an online bookseller and now obviously they own the world um but this was very much they wanted to cut down on their hard copy distribution costs and therefore putting it online um and offering customers access to that via a portal where they could create profiles and alerts seemed like a, a really good idea at the time and it just kind of grew in from there into their sort of single dealer platform the front end of the bank and it's now a very respected product called city velocity
That's, uh, I mean, it sounds like you've had an amazing career and, and, and obviously um, some luck comes into it, but it does sound like you have to have the right attitude as well. But what barriers did you come up against um, as a young woman joining the sector? Um, people very much thought I was younger than I was. They thought I was a very competent 22 year old. I think, A, I'm short, which people always assume you're, somehow you're younger than you are when you're short. It kind of equates with cute. Um, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. On some on some level, you're seen as a you know highly competent twenty two year old when actually you're twenty nine. Um, and on the other hand, uh, you're not seen as qualified. So sometimes that's kind of a tricky dynamic to run. Regularly, when I went to meetings, um, there was an assumption that I was the secretary, that I was there to take notes, that I was there to pour the coffee, maybe. Um, the, uh, the general consensus of, of being taken more seriously was difficult. Um, in terms of um, other barriers, you know, other, I think a lot of the barriers, they're experienced by both genders, whether it's, you know, what your, what your salary is, what your bonus level is, you know, it's also secretive. Nobody knows what the average is or, or what's to be expected. I came from the art world where the pay is notoriously bad I was grateful for anything quite frankly um, and it took me a while to get my head around the fact that the person next to me was potentially being paid twice what I was being paid or you know getting bonuses in multiples of salaries rather than percentages um, but I think that's that's across the board whether you're male or female you know I didn't have a banking background Caroline's got an amazing banking background um, and therefore, I didn't understand any of the jargon or the acronyms. So I started sort of creating Excel spreadsheets of anything just to remind myself of what it was. Um, yeah, there was, there was bullying. There was, there was sexism in as much that I think it was a novelty in, in some perspective at that time. And Caroline may have found it too, a novelty to be female, but not the secretary. Um, I was always invited to things. So again, that blessing and curse thing. I was invited to everything. So I was sort of the token female at the table with, with clients or with events. But at the same time, there would be behavior that um, today would absolutely not be acceptable. But at the time, you know, you play the game and you just have to work out what the rules of the game are when nobody tells you what they are. Um, there, there's a fine line between playing the game and and then also being out of control and and feeling that uh someone else is eliciting power over you which which again is is a fine line but i think you get that in a lot of careers as a as a younger female so caroline um is this similar to your experience in financial services it is actually because I encountered some of the sexism that uh, Kate described and some very inappropriate comments that you try and brush off at the time. But I think at, there's a danger that you don't stop and think about the situation you're in at the time it's taken as normal. And that is part of the problem that these norms have arisen that we're only just starting to challenge. So if I can go back to my mum's experience in the bank, my mum was in the bank in the 60s and 70s. And 
as all women were told when they got engaged at that point in time, she was told she was dead wood. And that was the expression that was used in her branch. The women were always told they were dead wood. And there were similar expressions used in different banks. But that was very much the message. You lost any career potential you had when you got engaged. When she became pregnant with me, I was the eldest, she had to leave. There was no opportunity for her to return to work after maternity leave. She had to leave. Her career was finished. It was also very rare for women to take banking exams in those days. Men typically were sponsored to take their banking exams. And of course, it was the Chartered Institute of Bankers, which is a qualification that uh, the London Institute of Banking and Finance has long offered. But that wasn't offered to women in the same way as it was to men. My mum did go back into financial services um, when the, her three children were older. Um, so there was a possibility for women to return to the workplace once they had older children at that point in time. That was probably in the 1980s, 1990s. But even so, my mum worked in a bank for 25 years and has never had a female manager, which I find quite incredible. And things had definitely moved on when I joined the bank. I was in the bank in the 1990s and the 2000s. And it was more common to see women managers at junior levels, but still very uncommon at senior levels. And there was still an issue with women having a career and being a mother. I worked with one female manager who wanted to work part time, a junior female female manager, wanted to work part-time after the birth of her second child, she wasn't allowed. Her options were work full-time and retain your management role or go back to being a clerical role and then we'll allow you to work part-time. So there was that disconnect between having a career and having a child. And I saw that when I became pregnant with my first child. I told my line manager I was pregnant. He sat with his head in his hands for a couple of minutes. He was horrified. I went on then to speak to the director of the business unit and he just looked at me quite quizzically and said, oh, are you pleased? I said, yeah, I'm delighted. And he just looked shocked and said, but I thought you were a career girl. So that, that impression, even back in the 2000s, that you couldn't have a family and a career was still quite prevalent. But I can still see some progress being made during my time in financial services. There was that move towards um, gender equality. We're still not there, but we're making progress. And when I teach um, banking students today, there is an equal split between men and women, but we need to make sure that when they go into the workplace, that equal split, that equal opportunity doesn't degrade and somehow they get lost along the way. So there are still barriers and issues that need to be tackled to make sure that men and women are able to compete on their talent and their ability and their qualifications and what they want to achieve in their life rather than on their gender. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's nice to hear that there are some are some um, improvements being made. Kate, what, what do you think in, in response to what Caroline's been saying? Yeah, I, I love what Caroline just said about, you know, her boss putting his head in his hands when she said she was pregnant. I had quite the opposite experience in as much that when I said I was pregnant, I had one of the few senior female women respond to me with, oh, I didn't think you were the motherly sort. You're so focused on your career. You're, you know, you, you so, you know, aspire to be more. And I was just kind of like, okay, so because I am aspirational, because I'm career focused, that means 
that I'm, I'm not nurturing, I'm, I'm not wanting to be a mother, and again, that you can't have it all, but from the other, other side of the spectrum. Yeah, I think, well, hopefully progress is being made, but it's slow. So what could be put in place to start breaking down some of these barriers? Caroline, you cover some of this in, in your paper. Yeah, I do. And I think the progress we need to make um, is to make sure that women get those opportunities because the situation we've got at the moment reminds me very much of the famous shackled runner speech by Lyndon Johnson, who was a former president of the United States of America. And he talked about how black and white people are able to run a race. So they're both allowed to enter the race, but the black runner is shackled, so doesn't have a fair opportunity. And I think it's still the case sometimes for women that there are barriers in place that are preventing it being a fair race when they're competing for a job with a man, particularly when they get to a senior level. So there are things that we can do in the workplace to try and break down those barriers. I've mentioned already implicit um, bias and um, the preconceptions that people may hold about women. And Kate's mentioned that as well. There was that preconception that if she has got a career focus, she shouldn't then be having children. Or it was surprising that somebody with a career focus would choose to have a child. And there are those implicit um, biases, those preconceptions that we make that everybody does. I do it. Um, but it's understanding what those unconscious biases are. And as soon as you start to think about them, they become less unconscious and more conscious biases. And then you can start to tackle them um, and hopefully dismiss the preconceptions that you have where they're not fair. So implicit bias testing and diversity training is one thing I think is quite crucial that organizations need to put in place. We need to look at that double burden issue that I mentioned earlier. So the, the fact that women are trying to juggle a career with family responsibilities, child responsibilities that aren't always shared equally with their partner. So the home life is one issue, but in the workplace, there are things that the employer can do as well. They can look at flexible working arrangements so that women can juggle the responsibilities of work and home, putting in place shared parental leave schemes. So it's not the case that women have to choose between having a career and having children. We need to make sure that we reach women coming into the workplace in the first place so that we make them aware of what job opportunities are available to them. There's an internship route that is very, very useful to young women and to young men to give them a taste of what it's like and to experience the workplace before they enter it. Mentoring schemes are really useful to men and women so that the young talent, the leaders of the future can be nurtured and identified early so that people who have got the aptitude and the ability to take on senior positions are developed in the ways they which they need to be. So that's, there's some really important issues that you're raising here, Caroline, and it's clear that, di that diversity is really important to business. Kate, what's, what's your um, take on, on the uh, barriers that we could be breaking down and how we can do that? Well, there, there are a number of things. I think I love that Caroline's mentioned the double burden. I talk about the fact that society expects women to work like they don't have children and raise children like they don't work. You know, that we are foundationally responsible from everything from the goldfish to the washing to the grandparents to the you know meal structure whatever it might be um and that's no fault of anyone in particular i'm certainly not pointing the finger at, at men 
but um, society is set up for the woman to be the primary carer of all things, probably except herself. Um, you know, we, we all struggle to put ourselves on the list, let alone at the top of it. But um, there, there is, there is a lot that can be done. Caroline mentioned mentoring as well. There's also sponsoring, which is super important, where people not, they're not so much guiding you or advising you, but they're opening their network. When people suggest that there's an opportunity, they put your name in the mix. They really raise your profile into their more senior network, hopefully. Um, we also have returner programs where women have left the business or gentlemen, if they have left business for any reason, maybe it's a mental health break, maybe it's children, maybe it's an accident that they've had to recuperate from. There are those returner programs that can get them back in. I think it's really also important. People talk about diversity and what they think is that if they just have a 50, 50 female male split, then they have diversity. Well, if everybody went to a red brick university and everybody did the same exams and same degrees, then we don't really have diversity. We just have two genders on the floor. So I think neurological diversity is super important, be it cultures, background, academic experiences, all of those things to bring into the mix that sort of broader awareness and understanding of the people that we are fundamentally serving. Um, and, and also don't just, from a diversity perspective don't just sort of invite me to the party don't just give me a seat at the board table i want the inclusion piece as well that says i'm being asked to dance i'm being asked to have a voice i'm being engaged in the conversation i'm not just a token person in the room so i think those things if people can make sure that if there are those sort of diverse characters from different cultures as well you know be aware of your culture if you have people in your team that have been brought up as a you know, first generation, second generation immigrant. I'm, I'm a first generation immigrant having come from Australia. So not some of the sort of caveats that lots of people experience, but be aware of some of that cultural stuff. If, if, if people have been brought up to be deferential of senior people, to not showcase what they're doing, to not speak about themselves, then they need their line managers to speak up for them and to make them comfortable with the fact that they're probably sitting in a different culture that expects you to speak up, that expects you to give yourself some jazz hands and uh, sort of highlight the achievements or the capabilities that you have. So again, that your, your name is included in conversations when there, when there are opportunities to be delivered. And also then there's that, that discussion that says fundamentally, if you have a diverse workforce, you will be, you know, you will be able to generate more revenue or you will become more profitable. And, and as much as people seem to rail against that, there's a logic that says, how could you not, if you are, again, coming back to that thing of representing your customers and enabling all those thoughts and ideas to come into the products and services that you're offering it means that what you're offering is is more robust and more applicable so even like i became aware recently and this is slightly off topic from gender but for a deaf community if you're a british sign language um first language user rather than you went deaf during your lifetime you don't you don't engage with English. Giving you written word is like giving you a page of Chinese. And I, and I think the more we all become aware of those kind of caveats to the different experiences that we have, male, female, whatever, um, the better we will be in terms of how we engage in companies and society, in opportunities, the whole gamut. 
absolutely diversity in all its forms is really really important um, and perhaps with with what's been happening recently with more people working from home having more flexible ways of working and operating things may change more quickly and there might be more equality of opportunity but um what advice would you give then to somebody thinking about a, a job or a career in the finance sector maybe they they're looking to change careers as, as you did uh, kate what advice would you give them I think um, if you were looking to change careers and come into financial services, um, really look at the different roles that exist within any entity, within any business that actually resonate with you. It's a, it's a bit like saying you want to work in the NHS if you say that you want to work in banking. You know, in the NHS, you could be a doctor, a surgeon, a nurse, a, a matron, an HR person, a hall porter any number of roles again in in banking there's compliance there's hr there's trading there's sales there's innovation there's technology there's architecture and infrastructure you know which bit of banking it's not all just slamming your desk with a you know the traditional view of you know banging your desk very loudly and being super sort of alpha male about it and again that stereotype really doesn't exist so much anymore people are individuals and I think the moderation of behavior is, is definitely there since from the time you know of Caroline's mother and also herself entering in the 90s myself then coming in in the I don't know the noughties should we assign that word with the financial services um, so definitely look at the different opportunities you know, do have an element of comfort around sort of giving yourself some jazz hands and sort of saying I did that um, and that self-promotion and and building your resilience to be comfortable that some people are going to disagree with you but it doesn't necessarily make their opinion right or you know your own opinion right it's just different opinions different lenses on the same thing if there is an opportunity from a school perspective to to get some work experience as caroline was saying earlier to sort of really understand some different aspects of different companies grab them with both hands um, you may find that something that you never thought of is is actually what floats your boat as opposed to necessarily being overly blinkered about a particular route one way or the other brilliant and that's great advice and caroline obviously you're one of the lecturers and you're you're trying to encourage younger people to get into the finance sector what kind of advice do you give our students i think investigate the different businesses that you apply to banks aren't all the same so understand the culture and the organization of the particular banks that you're applying to or that you're interested in. Um, if you're concerned about gender equality, look at their record on gender equality. It's all published information now. So look at how many women or what percentage of women they have in leadership roles. Have a look at their diversity and inclusion policy. Does it resonate with you? Is that the sort of organization that you want to be part of? Does it inspire you to go and work there? Again, if you're concerned about um, gender equality, maybe look at the LinkedIn profiles of senior women in the organization. Are there role models in that organization that give you confidence that there are positions for you that you can aspire to? And then make sure that you're building your own brand. Be aware of how you present yourself to the outside world. Network, use tools like LinkedIn, and really develop how you want to present yourself to your potential employers and look for opportunities to build your brand and make yourself more employable. So Caroline, you've made some really good points about the use of LinkedIn. Um, 
Kate, how about networks? Are there networks that you, women can look at joining that might help them in their career? Yeah, absolutely. For women who are at the beginning of their career, there are loads of networks to join. Um, whether it's um, like-minded females or um, women in tech, um, they're all there. They're all offering opportunities to come and listen to talks for free. You can find them on various events pages like Eventbrite. Definitely go there, find some different podcasts um, or, or live sessions that you can hook into. Hear different men and women from all sorts of areas. For women who are um, slightly further on in their career, um, there aren't so many. I think you're considered to have been sort of, you've made it, you've ticked that box. But um, women are generally judged on their competence in the past and men on their potential when they're moving forward. So it can be quite a lonely place as a woman in a, in a senior role. You have to constantly wear that mask. You have to constantly be brilliant at everything. And the opportunity to take off that mask and just kind of go, oh my word, you know, is someone else experiencing this challenge? Is this normal? You know, what, what can that be? There aren't many places to do it. So myself and another lady at Microsoft have created a forum called Tech Women in Leadership that is to create that psychological safety that allows you to just take the mask off, have a conversation with a load of other senior ladies from different companies, different areas of technology and financial services, and really just exchange some ideas and create advocacy as well for what is it that women really need to change from a gender diversity perspective. You know, there are lots of activities that we've touched on already that are out there. But to have an opportunity to say, was that your experience? Did you have that? Actually, what would have made a material difference as you were moving forward? And then, you know, I would also suggest for people like me who don't come from a sort of traditional grad program entry or banking background, there's a brilliant team of Sarah Ellis and Helen Tupper who do a squiggly career podcast. And it talks about how actually having a slightly left field squiggly career can lead you to have a more fulfilling career and be able to bring more to your day to day. Because you, again, you're not doing that blinkered thing. You've got that sort of 360, 180 degree view that, of all these different experiences that you can bring to the pot. And they also do a piece around amazing if, which is a bit like the yes if, but it's like, these are all the things that were great about whatever you did in terms of giving feedback to people. And it would be amazing if you did this extra thing or we took it to another level, which just allows people to grow. So focusing on the gap that might exist in terms of being nurtured and growing in your experience rather than, <clears throat> excuse me, necessarily focusing on, but these are the things that you didn't do very well. It's much more about how do I move you forward rather than how do I critique or criticize what maybe you didn't get right in that first instance, which can create a sort of demoralizing attitude. So yeah, there are loads of things. Put yourself forward for awards. You're allowed to ring up your friends and get them to nominate you if you see something either in Computer Weekly or any of the you know, women in banking and finance activities. Get yourself out there. And Caroline was talking about building your brand in LinkedIn. That's all part of it. There's some really interesting thoughts and some really good tips there, Kate. Caroline, what's, what, what's your, what are your final words on the subject? I suppose my finishing thought is don't be put off in coming into financial services, whether you're a man or a woman. If you're interested in financial services, it's a really exciting time to join. 
the industry is developing. There's a lot of technology coming in. So lots of opportunities to get involved in different facets of banking. The industry is further ahead in terms of gender equality than many industries that you could enter as an alternative. And you've got an opportunity when you come into the sector now to really make a change and be part of making a difference for men and women in the future. So it's a fantastic opportunity and a fantastic time to join the industry and really be a part of that change and that cultural shift. Thank you so much. It's a fascinating topic and I'm sure one we're going to come back to many times. Um, but thank you. For now, um, Caroline Murray and Kate. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, then always consider subscribing on your chosen podcast platform. And to keep up to date and in the know on industry news, then follow us on our socials.